You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 79 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with the wonderful Gina Militia. How are you Gina? I'm great, Val. I've got a brand new mic today, so I hope I sound better. Yeah, well, (laughs) fantastic. How are you going? I'm good, I'm good. So, um, last time I spoke to you, you had literally just stepped off the plane from Sicily. So, now you've had a little bit of time to recover. I hear the jet lag is still well and truly there. It's a killer. I think... I travelled a bit, little bit longer than I normally do. I think by an extra week, I usually try and get in and out of the country in 10 days and I'm not sort of the jet lag doesn't get me. But this time I was away for like three weeks mm. and so I really had time to get used to the attack. It's, it's twofold, Val. So there's the jet lag and there's something about leaving Italy for me, which mm. is I just... I know I'm Australian. I was born here. I'm a proud Australian, but it's something about going back to Italy and being back, you know, with my people. (laughs) (laughs) That I actually, honestly, every time I leave, I feel like I've just part of me doesn't come home. Do do you get what I mean? There's a part missing. It's there. And so, and sort of when I'm there, when I land, when I touch that soil, I do, it sounds so, I don't know, cliche, but I do feel like so at home, so complete there. And oh. I'd never live anywhere else in the world other than Australia. I know how very, very lucky I am. I'm so grateful my parents made that trip out, gave up everything to come here. But there's just something so magical about that place. So there's a bit of, there's a bit of, um, that longing with the jet lag and so yeah it's uh, it's it's the transition takes a little while yeah right wow that's very romantic sounding okay. yeah <laughs> well it's true it's how i feel <laughs> yeah yeah fair enough fair enough well let's move on then to this week's episode but before we get on to the topic of this week which is how to find great daylight for portraits anywhere which is uh-huh. great because don't i mean it's so practical we always want to do, well, I am always wanting to do portraits and I'm always wanting to find great daylight, not just any daylight, yeah. but great daylight. So, uh, yeah, I'm keen for this week's topic. But before we get into that, uh, you've got a useful link for us, haven't you? I've got a link that I just loved. So um, there's, uh, from Board Panda, uh, there's a photographer by the name of Pete Souza, and I think he has uh, the best job in the world. Mm-hmm. He is the uh, president's photographer. Fantastic. He's the official uh, president of the United. Yes. And so um, he uh, in has taken like 2 million photos uh, in eight photos. years. That's a lot. Mm. That's a lot. Um, and so I, just a very cool job. And uh, he's like a one new, he's like an amazing photographer. He's won numerous photojournalism awards and mm. uh, he's uh, several times he's won the pretty, prestigious pictures of the year and uh NIPPA's best of photojournalism so he's like you know obviously uh very high end but like he's also done other assignments like after 9-11 he was one of the first journalists to cover the fall of Kabul and in Afghanistan and um he's been all over the world doing shots so like but uh the the the, the link here goes in to show like some amazing shots of just showing um, the president of the United States. Is it POTUS that they call him? Have yes. you been watching v- Veep, Valerie? 
Oh, I've only season. watched the first season. No, I haven't gone beyond. Oh, you've got. Oh, it's such a good show. Um, anyway, just just all those. Uh, like he'd obviously just be following around, and I think when like I would love you see photographers that do that uh, follow bands around on tour, mm. and I think it maybe takes a couple of days and suddenly that photographer's invisible. And I know that happens for a lot of photographers, even like if you're good at your job, yeah. eventually people forget that you're there and that's yeah. what you want to hear at the end of the shoot. I didn't even notice you were there yeah. and suddenly they're able to grab like these amazing, um, candid, candid, beautiful images, which are like kind of history as well, aren't they? But That's uh, right. You know. And it's very much done in a photojournalism sort of style. And we'll put the link in the show notes, of course, which you can find at ginamilitia.com. That's M-I-L-I-C-I-A. But, uh, yeah, it's very much done in a photojournalism sort of style. So it's not like, – there's no time to set up the shot in the vast majority of circumstances. You literally have to capture things as they're happening. You know, when Kabul is falling, you can't say, oh, no, can you just hold that? Down the light. <laughs> light. Yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> you've got to be ready and you've got to be aware and you've got to have some knowledge of what's actually happening around you as well so that you're capturing the right thing and not just the beautiful way the shadow falls against the you know um the, the graveyard or something like that so i really admire photojournalists it's not the kind yes. of thing i do and i'm not very good at it um but i love looking at really powerful photos done by photojournalists Fantastic and no and knowing when to uh um like knowing how to anticipate the action val and then and then mm. you know what the way they shoot their personality comes into the shots as well so so yeah. the way you frame an image and uh the, the the decisive moment that moment when you choose to to press the shutter as opposed to another moment can completely change the vibe and the feel of the shot and also uh how how you uh expose which is what we'll go into in um in this podcast val but how you choose to expose an image is going to completely change yeah. the whole vibe of the shot. So I, I love how uh, Pete has uh, has made his shots. Uh, they're quite light and bright um, uh, in that sort of very clean commercial look, which I guess is what you would need uh, for this style of photography. You couldn't be doing, doing too arty stuff really, mm. but Lots of fly on the wall stuff too, through windows, and it makes you feel like you, you're kind of spying on the president. And I also encourage photographers who like this kind of photography, who like to be really aware of their surroundings and aware of the players and aware of the background behind the story of the shot. If you're that sort of person, if you have those photojournalistic instincts, Think about doing a writing course so that you can package your words and pictures and sell them together because you'll get more money, quite frankly. And I know that's a great idea, Val. In one of the the writing courses I taught a few years ago, um, and the Australian Writers Centre still teaches it now, but I remember a photojournalist came to that and, um, you know, he took great photos, but he, he wanted to do exactly that. And within a couple of months, he was, that was it. He was off freelancing full time in Outback Australia, fil- um, f- photographing and writing for a whole range of magazines. And it funded his lifestyle of just constant traveling. And he recently had an exhibition down the road, actually, of, um, in Sydney. But uh, it's, it's something that if you've got that instinct anyway and you really like telling the story behind the um, shoot, think of combining those skills, yeah. Def- and look, I think, Val, today uh, that, like, it, uh, if you're a great photographer, that's one thing, but if you're a great photographer and you can write as well, then, mm. like, you go to a whole new level. And i just give the example Humans of New York. You know, I've given this example before. He started with a blog post. Mm. He just showed his pictures to start with. But the minute he included the story behind mm. the people, and it doesn't need to be like you don't need to write like, you know, some flowery prose. It doesn't need to be high end. Mm. It can be in your own words. Mm. But just adding um, text and in your own words to a, to an image, suddenly like humans of New York went to like, well, it went ballistic, you know, yeah. completely viral and, uh, you know, t- takes everything to a whole new level. So it, it is what – 
So what would you do, like a journalist course, Belle? Like if you were a yeah, it depends on what you want to... to. Depends what you want to achieve, but yeah, a course like at the Australian Writers Centre, we'd have one called Magazine and Newspaper Writing, right. and that's ideal for photographers because you're yep. typically you're selling your your photos to magazines and newspapers. So, so that makes so how, sense. So how to write how to write captions or how to write like about your photos basically well, it's would... not so much writing about your photos it's writing a story yeah. where your words and your pictures go together to tell that story right, right. Yeah. but let's move on to um we have a shout out to alan malenfont and it's an amazing he has uh epic. created an amazing yes epic photo of a great white crane at sunset and it was only taken a couple of weeks ago on Alan's trip to Lake Huron which is one of the great lakes I think and um, he has used Gina's Lightroom preset called Japan 1940 and basically what it is it's at sunset and it's on well Lake Huron and which is the bottom section of the photo and then the sky and then the magnificent clouds is in the top section and the crane is in the is on the right top right and it is jaw-dropping it is mid-flight but the way the light is and the way the preset has been used Gina's preset um, Japan 1940 is just I think you used the word before Gina it it almost looks biblical, and we'll put it does this image. Biblical. We'll it's put this epic. image in the show notes because you've got to see it. It's fantastic. Alan, I love this image so much. I would happily have this on my wall and look at it every day. There is something mm. so beautiful and majestic about this beautiful bird in flight. I've never like you. I mean, you see a stork. I, I want to see the basket under its feet. <laughs> a little baby but it's everything about the shot the clouds the water and but the, the crane it's like honestly this you've got to look at this shot it's so beautiful and a, even the positioning of the crane it's not in the middle of the shot it's slightly to the side everything everything about it's this perfect. shot blows my mind it's this amazing a perfect shot so well done alan because it's just a perfect shot now let's move on to a listener question from katrina schubert and Katrina has said that she's in the early stages of starting a small photography business. And she says, I want to shoot families, kids, headshots, and hopefully school formal portraits. I'm at the point where I need to start building a portfolio for my website, and I know I shouldn't shoot anyone without a model release or contract. How do I go about getting such documents? Are they something that need to be drawn up by a lawyer, or can I safely use one downloaded from the web? Are there any other legal requirements to consider before I begin? There you go. <laughs> well, before we start talking about that one, uh, we just need to make it clear that we're not lawyers. So this is... You've got to say this in a really fast voice, Val, like they do at the end of all those drug commercials. It's mm. like, you know, whilst we're not... The, 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 I've always wanted to do that. Can I would you like do it? to... No, now, really, really no, fast. Oh, in fact, okay. because... So <laughs> what Jean is referring to is a legal-sounding disclaimer when she says that I need to say it in a fast voice, but I refuse to because... And that's my point. This is my point. This is actually my entire point. Why should I say it in a very fast, say this legal No, because we're not stuff? a drug company. We can say it no, slowly. No, why should <laughs> I or you as a photographer or anyone else listening say things in a dry legal way when you can simply say it in plain English? And that yeah. goes for your model release contracts as well and your, your model release you know, forms. You don't have to have industrial, you know, um, legal jargon in it for it to sound official. You can just say it in plain English. So here's the disclaimer in plain English. We're not lawyers, so please seek your own legal advice. However, here's a guide. Now, I could have said it in a much fancier way and that there are a lot of model release contracts that are written in that kind of fancy way. I was giving someone advice on this very thing this, this morning and they don't need to be. But that's just my little rant to start off with. So I'm going to turn over to you now, Gina, on your opinion on this. Um, and then I'll come back and offer a bit more of my own. Well, we know that I'm guaranteed not to use any legal jargon <laughs> or uh, big words. So, well, basically, um, I think when it comes to model releases, uh, 
I think it's better to be safe than sorry. Uh, so I think if you're going to be photographing people, uh, you don't know what the future use of that shot might be. So it's probably a good idea when you can get a model release basically. So that covers, uh, that covers you for all future uses. But basically uh, when it comes to model releases. Uh, I'd just like to jump in there and say, it covers you for all future uses as depict as designated in the model release. in the model release. Okay, so you can be the uh, the backup lawyer here okay. as I speak and just to like clean, clean up my uh, mess as I go along, <laughs> basically. So that's why there is a disclaimer before we start. I'm definitely not a lawyer. Um, so basically uh, what uh, most photographers consider and the legal advice that uh, lawyers give to photographers when, when uh, deciding whether to have a model release or not is the uh, intended use of the image. So basically, in, in plain English, if the photo is going to be used for financial gain, uh, then you need a model release. If it's not, then you don't very basic but then there's gray areas within that so that there's some areas that are like if you were shooting an editorial uh for a magazine um and uh th th that that shot doesn't need to have a model release but if that magazine then took your photos and gave them to coca-cola to use as a billboard then uh that wasn't the intended use of the images and then that you would need a model release in that case. So uh, the language and the usage gets a bit grey, but basically, uh, and there's a really good um, uh, blog post from the Digital Photography School, and I've put the link in the show notes, and it's uh, written by Jeff Geyer, who is a lawyer who uh, wades in uh, with his uh, 20 cents worth and he gives some some really good advice uh, on on all of this so um, you know basically he says will this photo be used commercially if the answer is yes you need a model release if no uh, you do not so um, and but then he goes on and he gives uh, an example uh, so uh, what is and isn't commercial use can be sometimes be uh, confusing. So, um, so let's assume you've taken a photo of a popular chef and you didn't uh, obtain a signed model release, uh, and your friend is a publisher of a local newspaper and they pay you for the photograph and it, it runs uh, about the, the restaurant. Uh, so because the photo is being used as a news story, that's editorial use. And but the fact that money change hands does not automatically make this a commercial use. But if the restaurant then uh, the restaurant's PR agency then want to go and use the photos for an ad campaign, you do need a model release. So, so same photo to uses. One needs a release and the other doesn't. Okay. Belle? I think that um, what you need to do is determine what you want to use the photo for and yep. simply write in plain English your model release. I have written all of our model releases just in my yep. own, you know, on, the, on a Word document and got people to sign them because I've thought, well, what do I want to use this, this, this image for? And I might say something like um, I, you know, John Smith, whoever it is that I'm shooting, consent for Valerie Koo or the Australian Writers' Senate. It depends on what capacity I'm you know, working as, uh, to use my image on the, uh, her website and any of her marketing materials or something yep. like that. Um, if the image is, uh, if Valerie is going to gain pecuniary benefit or if Valerie wants to sell the what, image. Is that word? That's if, a big word. If, if Valerie wants to sell the image in the future, she needs to seek my approval. Some people right. don't need that, but I offer them that. If, yes. if they want to. So yeah. I just write it in plain English. And you, you don't need to consult, I mean, you can consult a lawyer if you want, but it is costly. There are ones available on the internet, but if there's ones available on the internet, all you need to do is, oh, what a surprise, read them and see if yeah. you agree with them. So if you read them and they go, okay, that's my, my intended use, then use it. If that's not your intended use, 
cross out the bits that are not your intended use and write in the bits that are your intended use. So it, people kind of think that legal documents need to be really confusing or full of jargon or, or whatever, but they just can be in plain English. And as long as it's very clear when it's written down, then, um, then the person who's signing it isn't bamboozled by legal jargon either and they yeah. feel comfortable knowing what they are signing away. So like I said, I think that, you know, if you're doing it for your portfolio um, and you want to use it on your website, which is presumably where you would use it, yes. and, you know, um, if you send out a portfolio to people, you would, you would say, I, John Smith, consent for my image to be used in Katrina Schubert's portfolio. My, that means my image may be used on her website um, and any of her marketing materials as a photographer because, you know, maybe you're yep. at a coffee shop and you, <laughs> so he's not consenting yeah. for you to use it with a coffee shop but as a photographer, yes. And if they want to, you can always add in that extra sentence saying that if Katrina um, uh, plans to sell the image, she may do so if she obtains my approval first. So it, exactly. it's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, and also... Also, Val, with kids, uh, mm. you need the legal guardian to sign. You can't sure. just have a child under 18 sign uh, with crayon on their behalf because <laughs> to, to, then it's, I guess it's not a legal document. The other thing with um, releases is often they work the other way where they're designed to protect the model. So a lot of the... Um, work that I do, uh, I'm signing releases to make sure that, you know, I can only, uh, I can't release the photos before a certain date. I have to protect uh, people's identity. And often a lot of celebrities will ask that, uh, you know, uh, that their photos are not retouched or retouched by a certain retoucher. And there's all these stipulations as to what happens with the image. And also the other release that photographers may have to sign is when they work for uh, certain magazines, probably a whole other show here where they uh, are asked to sign over the rights to their photos. So once they do the shoot and hand it into the particular magazine, the magazine then owns the rights to those shots and can do whatever they like with them. And so they can actually on sell them. So you lose the um, sort of usage rights of that shot. Um, so uh, worth considering and, and, and sort of, you know, read any paperwork that comes your way, I guess, is the... Uh, um, thing to do there for photographers and uh, yeah when in doubt as you say Val get a model release have one drawn up you can easily have one done with your logo up in the corner um, and uh, you just hand it out before that's the first thing you do before you start a shoot. Okay great well we should move on to the next topic because as you say we could talk about model releases forever but specifically in your circumstance Katrina I think it's really really straightforward. Um, yep. Okay this week's topic, how to find great daylight for portraits anywhere. Wow. What inspired this, Gina? Um, I think the, a lot of the work that I've been doing uh, the last few weeks while I was away, it's like involved um, sort of, and, and a lot of the photographers I've been speaking to as well, sort of, I've just sort of thought and um, in doing the, the uh, podcast as well, that, that like a lot of people um, know how to find the obvious light. Okay, it's sunny outside today for the first time in a week and, you know, there's an obvious uh, um, place to find great light. But um, I, I see a lot of photographers missing great opportunities because mm. they're not seeing what's there or they're misreading or miss um, uh, exposing for a shot and the way mm. you uh, shoot and expose a certain shot can completely change how the light looks so uh, th this uh, we're going to talk about this specifically relating to daylight and basically you know how because what I do is I turn up to a village and I look around and try and find great light. That's that's all I was focused on. So I actually spent three weeks just focusing on where's the good light, where's the good light, how can I make this light better? So that's what I want to talk about. Great. Where do we start? All right. So I think... Um, one, like after you've learnt how to run your camera and how to drive it properly and what all the buttons do, I think like the, 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 the next thing that, that, that does take a while to get your head around but gets a lot easier as you go along is learning to read and see 
light. And so, like I said, there's all stuff that you'll see, like, you know, the sun's out, uh, you know, when it's overcast, the light changes and you know that morning light, afternoon light is different. There's all these really subtle differences, but at first it, it's, it is really hard to recognize them. And so I think working on that is a really important skill to have. And I think like some of these exercises that I'm suggesting uh, in, in this podcast today are really worthwhile doing along with, uh, I think the five minute to better photography podcast that we did a few weeks ago went down really well with everyone and doing that mm. training. I think I think this is another thing that um, everyone can can add in and just like when you go to a new place, just do this as an exercise. When you walk into a room or a new anywhere new that you've never been before, scope it out. Pretend mm. you're about to do a photo shoot there. Look around. Where would I put people? Where's the best light here for a portrait? If you didn't have flash uh where would you place someone and like what while you're talking to people in the room have a look at the catch lights have a look at how the light falls on the face it's a really good um skill to to like i think it really helps you learn how to see the subtle differences in light mm, yeah that's a really good idea and people kind of forget to do that but it's such an easy thing to do just in your day-to-day right yeah, and, and something that I did a lot of is because I would stay in uh, a, a village for, say, two or three days, uh, I would find landmarks and um, photograph them at uh, different times of the day. So I'd photograph uh, the same place at dawn, at, uh, in the middle of the day, at uh, early dusk. Uh, and then in in uh, at, at night, mm. just and and the and also as the light changes, there might be hard light, then there might be overcast, and it completely changes the vibe and look of a shot. So uh, that that and in itself is an exercise that's well worth doing as well. It could be just out your front door if you wanted to just like take a photo every hour, do it as a project and yeah, have a, a look idea. at how radically different the light is. I remember I did that. It was one, one of the first assignments I did when I was at college and I was doing um, that the photography subject. That's what the first thing we were asked to do, photograph something morning, noon, night and see the differences. And that for me was the first time I went, oh, my God, you think light's the same all day mm. long, but it's not. It really changes. That's such a great idea because, like, I've got this great tree in the front of my house. Oh, my God, Valerie, you have, like, no limit of <laughs> beautiful, like, your home is, like, oh, my God, out the window, every single window there's an amazing view. And, like, and then the office, hello. <laughs> like, like Hello. That's true. <laughs> so true. Okay, so the camera. But that would be like if I was there, if I had an office in your office. So um, my office I would just happens to and... overlook the Harbour Bridge and the Opera yeah. House. It's only like probably, I don't know, the most iconic view in the world. Yes. How many photos have you taken? Oh, you might like, <laughs> oh, I don't have a coffee to photograph and Rex isn't here. What am I going to for? Oh, I suppose I'll just do the, uh, the bridge. Let's take a photo of that. That'll do. I'll stick that up. That's fine. There's my Instagram. Oh, okay, yes, you're right. I mean, I've got the most amazing opportunity to take morning, noon epic. and night. Yes. Yes, epic. epic. And I'm thinking of the tree outside my house. The tree. The Harbour Bridge and the Opera House. Oh, God. My okay. God, oh my God. All right. Well, it's lucky I've got you, Gina, to remind me. <laughs> so, um, shall we break it down? Yeah, let's do it. With you, uh, okay. So, where do we start? Like, what, you know, when you when well, you're walking around and you're thinking, okay, where's the good light? Where do we start? So, I started with the obvious. So, we've got like at right now, uh, full sun. Okay. And, and this is going to vary depending on where in the world you live. And there's certain things like the level of pollution. Like you get a place like uh, Singapore, Val. Mm. It's highly polluted. And mm. uh, even um, in, in India for that, for parts of India mm. and, and other countries that I've been to, like China, um, where there's like a lot of uh, atmospheric pollution. Mm. You, LA can be the same sometimes. Mm you rarely see the sun. Like it's there, but there's kind of this haze. Yeah. So full sun isn't like the full star sun you might get, say, in the uh, dead centre of Australia or like the Arizona desert where it's like that sun. It's sun, 
and then it just cuts through. There's nothing sort of blocking it. So the sun is really, really hard. And I noticed that in uh, in parts of Italy when I was shooting, there was the, like there's not a lot of pollution. So it's like a really crisp, hard edge. And we get that in Australia as well. So not so much now. It's kind of like the the, the light is a lot softer, um, mm. but it's a, it's a hard light. So like the, the way you know, can tell a hard light is just look at the ground when the sun hits and in the shadows, you get a really sharp, distinct, hard shadow. And so the difference between your highlight area and your uh, shadow area, there's like many, many stops in between. So you're going to get, a, it's a very contrasty light, but you can work with um, full sun for portraits. And, and uh, the way I do that is I either backlight or when I'm shooting my models, I actually get the model to tilt, have the face uh, sort of tilting so that the sun is hitting them flat on and, and you won't get any shadows. What do you mean uh, by flat on? Well, look, here's a really good exercise uh, for anyone who's having trouble understanding this. Um, get yourself a desk lamp, mm-hmm. you know, like a like you know those like cheap little ones that bend and they've got the, the, the sh- lens light shade and then you've got mm-hmm. a, a globe, right? Mm-hmm. Simple little, they're $5, right? Yes. Get a golf ball. Right. Okay, and uh, move into a, an area like m- maybe wait till it's night time, and then shine the light onto the golf ball at different angles. Now, if you shine that light directly from the side, you're going to notice that uh, the, the the you know how the golf ball's got little holes mm-hmm. in it. You're going to notice how the light and shadow uh, the the light causes uh, the golf the little holes in the texture in the golf ball will cast shadows depending on where the light is. So if you have it uh, like at a 90 degree angle to your golf ball, mm. so it's, you know, hitting it straight on, you're going to get like really long shadows and it's going to really define those little uh, um, marks in the ball, right? The, mm-hmm. the divots. If you then take your, uh, take your uh, light and light it flat on to the mm-hmm. ball, what happens? Um, flat on you don't sort of see the shadows you don't see the shadows and that's effectively what beauty lighting is Val Mm -hmm. that's how we shoot that's why when I talk about garage lighting or when I talk about having sort of a light source directly behind you so that it's hitting your model flat on Mm -hmm. anything that's going to um, avoid causing shadows is going to be a great light so when you're working with a light that's really contrasty all you need to do is obviously we can't get up high enough to, to, to grab onto the sun and tilt it in the angle that we want, right? <laughs> you could go at night, but it's a long flight and all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can't. Yeah. You can, so change the angle of your model and so um, and use, use the daylight. Now, um, this only works with uh, models who aren't sensitive to hard daylight because it's hard to get someone to just look directly at you when mm. the sun's hitting their eyes. But with generally people with very dark eyes, it, it can be really beautiful. And so if you wait the like high noon, very difficult. But if you wait mm. till like, you know, two, three, four times when the sun is like closer to the horizon, it'll light people flat on. It's beautiful lighting. So that's that's the way you can work with daylight worth experimenting with. Yeah, and for sure. What you get. All right. The having an overcast day is basically just like uh, getting up into the sky and throwing a big diffuser over the sun because that's what clouds do. They diffuse the light and uh, also uh, having pollution in the sky will do the same thing. So you've got a very soft, flat light, but you can actually, if that is like often that can be too flat, no contrast, Mm. like there there isn't a great tonal range in the shots. So if you want to add contrast, you can get something like a silver reflector, which is going to, uh, and that increases the contrast of your shot. Right. So if you're shooting somewhere like Canberra, where it's often very cold and overcast and sort yes. of grey, especially if some Dark. of the yes, some of the television shows are to the uh, um, you know correct. Is that what you would do? Yeah. So if you've got very flat, flat sort of dull lighting mm. and it's sort of like you can have that in the sort of the depths of winter and I know this mm. is uh the light that we've had uh here in Melbourne since I've got home it's like reflects my mood 
fell, but I won't go there. But it's like it's very it's it's been quite dark and right. um, flat. There's no like contrast in the light, mm. and so. You know, if I was lighting that, I didn't have the opportunity to use flash. I would just bring in like a silver reflector and try and bring in um, some contrast into that shot. Put a catch light into people's eyes because otherwise you get those uh, shark eyes where they're Maybe black you can explain no... to people why you would choose the silver reflector as opposed to, say, the gold side. Gold is uh, good if you want to be shooting back in the 1980s. <laughs> okay. That's, that's a good enough explanation, a Gina. Good use for gold other than that's what we used in the 80s. And, uh, oh. <laughs> okay. Fine. I don't. I and you wouldn't no. choose the white side because it's too flat. You, don't you remember when I discovered gold, the gold reflector, and you and I were doing some shoot in up in Queensland? What was that show? It was like in the it was the early 90s, and I'm like, oh, my God, I've got this gold reflector valve. Look at it. And I'm going, oh, my God, that's amazing. <laughs> loved it so much. Oh, my God. Do you remember? We, I think that was Pacific and then Drive. I it's a specific drive and I refuse to use, like I, I would have my soft boxes and they would have like, look, you can have gold reflectors on the inside. And so I would have gold on the inside. Oh, my God. Okay, That's yes. I have this really warm. So, no, but silver like is a really, uh, it adds contrast. It's a hard, and, and, and if that's, uh, you can also use white as well on an overcast day. That might bring something. But if it's overcast, it tends to not be enough. So silver's yeah. going to really help. But like using flash, really, adding okay. some silver reflected light. And then you've got um, full shade, Val, which is something mm -hmm. that I talk about all the time, which is the garage lighting. Mm. Okay, and uh, the that is something that, like, if you are in full sun and you can find uh, an area that is uh, shade where the sun is uh, shaded, like a, an awning, a garage, a gazebo, uh, an umbrella, anywhere where shade is created in an area where there's full sun is going to give you the opportunity to create garage lighting. So the best way I can describe it, Val, mm -hmm. to people who can't get that uh, sort of mental image, imagine you're in the Arizona desert, mm -hmm. nothing around, okay? There's nowhere to hide and you've got the hitting that beautiful uh, sort of uh, ready brown sand there. Like We'll make it uh, like the Sahara Desert because it's a nicer sand colour, okay? Mm -hmm. In the Sahara Desert, Imagine if you uh, could buy your cars in a box big enough to hold a car, like a cardboard box, mm -hmm. okay? You took that cardboard box with you to the Sahara Desert. Mm -hmm. okay? So I'm thinking of a box big enough for someone to stand in. Maybe, why don't you just think a of a garage. container? But, but a container, but like then people get the wrong idea of what a container is. Is it a Because when you say container to me, do you know what a I A shipping container. No, I think of a Tupperware container, Val. Yeah, but I'm... That's the whole wrong See, because mm. everyone gets a different mental image. Okay. So you can say cardboard box to fit a box human then. Big enough to hold a car and it'll fit a human in mm. the Sahara Desert, right? Okay. If you were to put that in the middle of the Sahara Desert and you put the person into the box, into the, you have the box open on its side... Or for anybody who understands a shipping container, just oh, you're at the entrance of the shipping container. <laughs> just ask your model to stand at the entrance so that they're just in the shade. That is garage lighting and you photograph them there, the most beautiful light in the world because you've got the sun high in the sky hitting the sand, reflecting light back into their face and they're lit beautifully and it's gorgeous. Mm, fantastic. And if you haven't tried it yet, do yourself a favour this week and try it. And you don't need to go Why to the Sahara. Get a positive, <laughs> go to the Sahara Desert with a cardboard box big yeah. enough to hold a car, set it up. It's not an expensive exercise no. at all. Let's do it and if let's record it. If you can't afford to go to the Sahara or the Arizona Desert, just go to somewhere with that has so you don't want dark bitumen 
um, on the ground, you want a light color, whether that's sand or concrete, light colored concrete. Um, you don't want dark gray, you want light gray. So if you can have the sun hitting the ground there, but then you're inside like a garage or you're inside um, so, uh, an awning and you are fully in the shade, but you have that light reflected back onto your face, that is garage lighting. Try it this week without going to the Sahara Desert. So in the show notes, Val, I've got uh, two really good examples of uh, this uh, garage lighting, uh, like where you can see where I've got a model uh, standing just in the sunlight, mm -hmm. and then I got him to scooch back like 10 centimetres, and he's in that light where it's reflected and uh, he's got the, the light bouncing around, and the difference is unbelievable mm. so you can see the difference so like when he's uh standing in the hard light he's got uh the raccoon eyes going on mm -hmm. and uh because the light is above and it's casting shadows depending on how deep uh someone's eye sockets are is going to affect how um how much uh, that the, the 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 shadowing but you've got shadows under his nose shadows even under his lips it's it's like it's not pretty but if i wanted to photograph him in the full sun if i just tilted his face i could eliminate all those shadows and then you've got him uh, move back just a foot and suddenly you've got this beautiful soft light um Fantastic. all right so the way you take a reading in any given area, Val, is going to have an effect on the vibe of the shot and the mm -hmm. mood. Like you can completely change the mood of a shot just by the way you expose. So um, I've got an example in the show notes of uh, the two models that uh, I photographed in Sicily who were sitting on uh, like a, uh, a ledge, right, having mm -hmm. a chat, mm -hmm. and I photographed them three different ways from three different angles. Now, the first shot is where uh, I've used flat lighting. So basically what I've done is I've exposed for their skin tones. Mm -hmm. So I've shot using my 200mm lens, f3.5 at 1 250th of a second. And the image is, uh, there's there's not a great deal of contrast. So it looks a certain way. It's, it's flatly lit. So there isn't any great uh, areas of highlight and there isn't any great areas of shadow. It's like when you look outside on an overcast day, flat, yeah. evenly lit. This is a kind of a very uh, commercial style of photography, uh, not non-offensive, like it, it's just there. It can be quite lovely as well. It's almost pastel, Val. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. The second attempt at this shot is I actually uh, wanted to bring a bit more drama in, so I exposed for the highlights, and the highlights in this shot happened to be on the wall behind the two gentlemen, and so I shot to get maximum detail in the highlights, and what happens there is uh, I've shot at f5.6 at 1 3 20th of a second. So I've gone up considerably in my um, exposure. And what happens there is you get more drama and mm. the guy's skin tones were a lot darker in the original shot. And then I've gone back and brightened the skin tones in post-production. So it's more contrasty because you've exposed for the highlights. Yeah, so can you see the difference between the top shot and the and the and the, and the next shot down at how how different the vibe of the shot looks because I've increased the contrast. Yeah, that's just by the way I've exposed it. And then the final version is where like we're just starting to get a bit of rim light on the guys, and I've taken a completely different angle, which goes to show also how important uh, background choice is to a shot, because now the shot suddenly looks really average. It's not as glamorous anymore. I've got uh, signs in the background, and uh, it's the light is flat, but we're just starting to get like a bit of rim light just by changing the angle of the shot. Mm -hmm. So one shot, three different ways. Very, very different looks. Very, very different. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, all right, so another danger when you're shooting uh, daylight is uh, often to the naked eye, dappled light. So there might be a, a canopy of trees that you're mm. shooting at. So in a park, and it's often the first place that a lot of photographers will go yes. to shoot their portraits, right? And to the naked eye, dappled light looks quite beautiful. Mm. Unfortunately, uh, if you're not exposing correctly or um, you're just shooting in that environment without any use of any additional fill light, the dappled light can actually look really contrasty, and mm. uh, you end up they, they end up looking like they've got um, like spots all over them because the <laughs> camera 
the camera sees far more detail than we do with our naked eyes. Like at the, the eye will fill in a lot of the uh, information, but the camera will photograph it in a far more contrasty way. So it's something to really be careful of. And so what I do in those situations is I just uh, cut my hands uh, in that area of light and I just sort of work, walk around where the dappled light is and try and find an area where the, where the shade is clean, as in it's not dappled. So the canopy uh, the tr- of trees is a lot thicker mm. and you're not going to get those little spots uh, coming in. Great idea. Uh, or uh, get a, a scrim. So those five-in-one reflectors that you get, silver, gold that you never use, uh, <laughs> black and white, and then you take the cover off and you've got that translucent part in the middle, pop that over your model and that's going to remove any of that dappling and just do it as a safety even if you think you can't I can't see any dappled light in those situations just cover yourself because it's like chances are you'll get that spot of sunlight over their eye or on their cheek or something and it, it can ruin the shot. Great advice great advice and so beware of trees and bring a scrim. Yeah um and so the next one Val is uh the, the way you expose a shot is going to have a huge effect uh, on, on the way, uh, like the way the meter in the camera reads a shot. Now, we've talked about this a lot before, but I've got some really good, a couple of really good examples of uh, how this works here in the show notes. So if a lot of people like this is like such a, um, a standard scene that you might photograph, say someone standing on a beach or someone anywhere for that fact where there is bright sky behind them. Mm, yep. Okay, so bright blue sky. So I've got an example of uh, a gentleman in a market. He's standing under a market umbrella and he's got his uh, stall there in front of him. So yep. uh, he, to the naked eye, Val, he looks it like it's beautiful soft light. Mm. Behind him is uh, the bright blue sky, mm. okay? Now, when I point my meter at him and take take a reading, the camera's going to take a reading of the overall scene. Yeah. Okay? And what happens is because uh, there's such a huge bright area in the scene, so it's like 70% of the screen of the image is blue sky, right? Yeah. Hans, who programmed the camera, <laughs> good Hans, old Hans. Hans, who worked in the in the in the camera shop store, who programs all the cameras, uh, will has made this uh, really complicated uh, calculation, which is very very clever and works about eighty uh, percent of the time. But in these situations, it's not so great. So what it does is it exposes for allowing for the blue sky. Mm. And uh, compensates for all that bright area and you end up with a skin tone that's underexposed. So you get a very dark skin tone yep. using this technique. So I've got a shot and my, of this guy in the market. The first shot that I took uh, at an ISO 400, I'm shooting at 3.5. My reading was one four thousandth of a second to one get the correct exposure. Right, which is very high. Yes. Um, and I went, okay, that's what my meter says. I know it wasn't right, but I was just humoring Hans in this situation. <laughs> I go, okay, Hans, yeah. you reckon? And I took the photo. And uh, so basically, I, Hans got the sky right. There's detail in my sky, there's detail in the umbrella, the background is detailed, everything looks beautiful except for my model, mm. who is his skin tone is probably a couple of stops too dark. Mm. So it looks kind of bleh, don't bleh. like it. So bleh. what you do, to, uh, it's a technical term bleh. now. Bleh. It's in all the photography <laughs> books. To a shot. Okay. Um, so what you do uh, to uh, sort of trick the camera and uh, fool, pull one over on Hans yeah. is you want override those settings so what what you do in this situation is go right up to the person that you're photographing so that their skin tone uh fills your frame Mm -hmm. you're not going to take a shot but you the camera sensor Mm. is only seeing skin tone and that's going to eliminate any light flooding in to confuse the camera and you're going to get uh, a correct setting but what you need to do is then open up another stop on that because the mm. camera is going to tell you what's correct 
to give the equivalent of a, a neutral uh, tone for that for that uh, skin tone. It always wants to be neutral. So you go right up to the skin tone, take a reading, and then step back and uh, lock your camera into those readings. So I've gone back, and at ISO 3.5, my shutter was 1. You mean ISO 400 F3.5? ISO 400 F3.5, and it was uh, one two thousand five hundredth of a second, which is, hang on, that's twelve thousand. I think I've got it's two thousand five hundredth of a second. Anyway, it was a lot brighter. I need to fix that. I'll, I'll look in the uh, specs for that shot. But it was like a couple of stops brighter than the original. Yeah, where one twenty fifth hundredth of a second yeah. as opposed to four, one, one four thousandth of a yes. second. So it was it yes. was open for almost double the amount of time. I mean exactly. your shutter speed was almost double yeah. the length of what it was previously and therefore and it it was not so underexposed. Not so but by a couple of stops. And so yeah. what you get in that situation is suddenly you lose the sky. So I've gone from having a beautiful blue sky in the background, detail in the clouds, to an almost white sky behind him because I'm exposing just for the skin tone. But which which image do you prefer, Val? The bottom one. Yeah, and suddenly the skin tone looks amazing. And guess what? Who's the hero of the shot? Is it the sky? No, it's the guy. No, it's the guy. And suddenly you see all the lovely detail in his face and uh, his shirt is the right colour and uh, everything stands out. Now, the beauty of this technique is if uh, the, the backlighting was really strong, you start to get like a, a spill of light, like highlights on the side of the face, mm. and it starts to look like it was shot in a studio mm. as well. Like you would have the sky, uh, and I just uh, recorded a, a video showing this as well, Val, where, where it ends up looking like a studio shot, um, and the sky goes from being uh, like uh, dark blue to white to nothing. Wow. But it's all about the portrait. It's all about the skin tone. So, okay. um yeah, so right. um, that's a really good way to, uh, like, it's light that you would normally, on when, with the first shot you go, oh, the light's no good here, it's not garage lighting, it's not bouncing around, uh, but then you see it and it's fantastic. So you move on. Mm -hmm. um, uh, early morning, late afternoon, when the sun is flat, close to the horizon, that is Beautiful lighting. Uh, everyone uh, knows about that. That's like that, that called the golden hours, and uh, they're a great time to shoot. Um, even a little earlier um, as well, uh, as long as the light is hitting your model flat, perfect time. And then obviously uh, try backlight and uh, overexpose so that you're getting a, a great reading for your skin tone. Couple of hidden gems as well. Like I've always already mentioned the uh, the garage lighting. Yes. Um, uh, and then there's rain. Which rain? Is, yeah, rain. What do you sort mean? Of think, well, it, like a rainy day is not fantastic, but there is a lot of contrast because you've got the water reflecting, got all the reflections in the people, and uh, that, that makes uh, for a great uh, time to be shooting. So if you can have people kind of uh, like you put them in the rain, make sure that you're under cover, protect your camera, but it, it makes for a really interesting you shot. You put I love them in the rain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? It's like they get wet for a minute, but like it makes for a great shot. Or you can, uh, like, you can have them uh, undercover and sort of shoot through the rain, so that, right. that like you know you got the rain outside. But or have them in in like a car and shoot through the window. Oh, All yeah. that, it's just kicking so much extra light around that people kind of don't think about that as uh, beautiful light. But I think when it rains, the light has this like softness and uh, it's well worth investigating. Obviously, cranking up your ISO to, to have enough, um, you know, speed uh, and light to be able to do that works as well. And don't be afraid to really push your ISO um, quite high, uh, especially with cameras these days, because they, they, they do go a lot further. Mm. Um, all right. So finally, Val, I want to talk about how uh, the way you shoot, again, is going to um, change the mood of a shot. So um, in the show notes, I've got a shot that I took in a winery. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way I exposed for the shot, like the uh, image of the, uh, the guys in, in the street, uh, is really going to change the whole look and feel of a shot. So um, 
the uh, the winery is like an old uh, like old stone winery. In the interior, it's got like there's one uh, main window on the back wall mm. that I'm shooting square onto. Mm-hmm. That's lighting the winery. Now, the first shot that I t- took, and which there's is, sort of these gigantic, big wooden casks, you know, these whatever yeah, yeah. they're called, the massive ones that are taller than a human, on the right hand side, and it looks like a medieval castle, basically. Yeah, probably it was kind of thing. So <laughs> um, now if I want to uh, expose for the shadows in this image, what's going to happen is I'll get a really flat, flat-looking image where everything, there's detail everywhere. And so mm. that's uh, F2.8 at one two hundredth of a second. Suddenly I've killed the mood. It's like I've got uh, exposing for the shadow. I've got uh, a bright window which is blown out, no detail, but and everything is perfectly exposed. So it looks really flat mm. and it doesn't have any mood. But if I then uh, expose uh, f- for the highlights in this image, I get uh, a completely different shot. And uh, suddenly uh, it's it's a lot moodier and it's not telling the whole story of what's there, but I'm getting like there's glasses on the table and things like that, and I'm getting lovely highlights from those. You're seeing all the detail, and the mind, that's the person that's looking at the picture, needs to fill in the information. So as you look at it, you can see that there's people in the shot. You can see the facade of the wine barrels, but then it goes into darkness. You can see the bright areas. And that, to me, having some mystery in the shot is a far nicer uh shot than having it so brightly lit that you can see all the detail yeah definitely it's um a much better shot having that that mood there yeah yeah because it and you pick up the textures it gives the shot depth as well and uh it just makes it uh far more interesting so so that's something that you can do in this in this scenario is you can tweak uh the amount of detail you want to bring into the light in into the dark areas just by uh where you choose to take your exposure from mm. um it, so and, and it makes a, a huge difference to a portrait. So again, so when you're walking into a room, uh, have a play with the camera and see what happens when you shoot at a slower shutter speed or shoot at a far, faster shutter speed, see the difference, change your ISO, see the difference, experiment. That can be definitely one of the things you do uh, in your five-minute-a-day exercise. Yeah, definitely. So next time you go shooting somewhere, particularly in an area that does have some contrasts, as Gina mentioned, um, first of all, decide on what your hero is because that's really important because that will determine then what you you may or may not be exposing for. And then um, expose, try one where you expose for the highlights, try one where you expose for the shadows, try one where you get something in between and see which one actually brings the most um, interesting look for you. Yeah. Great. I love that. How there you to go. Try and great daylight for portraits anyway. One of those things that I almost never do is the rain. <laughs> Not sure if I will be embracing that, Gina. No, but... <laughs> I, think, I think you're actually a cat, Valerie. I don't think you like getting your paws wet, do you? <laughs> no, no. So, really. But we're really looking forward to the... Um, the, uh, the the series of shots you're going to do in the um... Harbour Bridge. Yeah. Yes, I shall. I might time lapse it even for everyone. How about that? Well, that'd be nice. Yes. Wait. <laughs> Wait I'm excited, Val, to see that. <laughs> you don't believe I'm going to do it. I will no, show you. Totally. But how was the vibe? What, what was the festival? A visit. Vivid, how'd you go with those? Oh, Vivid was great. I mean, it was it was fantastic looking out the window and seeing the entire of Sydney Harbour how, and Sydney. How was, how was shooting it go? How did that go? Yeah, shooting it. Yeah. Did you get your shots? So, um, so you watched? I went to some Canon events. <laughs> no, no, Val, it was out your window. I know. Did you get a shot? Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. But, look, I do declare, here we go, I'm going to do a time-lapse of the view from the window and I will post it by next week's show notes. I've said that out loud now. <laughs> All right? Yep. <laughs> All right. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode. What will you be doing this coming week, Gina? 
I'm in pre-production for a big shoot and I'm also uh, working on the next course uh, that we're doing, Val. So uh, I've got so much to keep me busy and I want to try and get my bike out and go for a ride, but it's freezing. (laughs) Yeah, not that excited about that. But the course I am excited about, which is how (laughs) to get off auto and onto manual mode in like 30 minutes or less. So if you want to stay tuned for uh, the launch of that, make sure that you have joined Gina's newsletter, um, which, and you can sign up at ginamilitia.com, M-I-L-I-C-I-A. And every month, Gina sends out a free Lightroom preset or presets. And uh, the only way to get them is if you are a subscriber to the newsletter. Well, the only way to get them for free is if you're a subscriber of the newsletter. And also, thank you for everyone in the gold community at GinaMilitia.com, which is the membership that we have where we have regular tutorials and live masterminds and soon-to-be upcoming events. And I believe some members of the gold community also went uh, to Sicily with you and Mm -hmm. uh, they had a great time. So big shout-out to all of those guys. But um, big shout-out to everyone in the gold community for being such a dynamic and vibrant bunch of people. It's really awesome to have you in there. Yes. Uh, So that brings us to the end of this week. Um, Next week we'll have another action-packed topic ready to discuss. So until we talk to you, we'll chat to you then. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit ginamilitia.com.